mind. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. So we're called in this to watch over our hearts. Why? And how do we do that? And what does that mean? To answer that, I want you to consider a couple truths. One, when mankind fell from the garden, mankind was plunged into an estate of sin and misery in which they became slaves on various levels to Satan. One of those levels being in their minds. Paul, describing, speaking of Satan, wrote in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Thus, when Christ comes and he redeems an individual, he regenerates them. We call that the doctrine of vivification. He gives them life where there was death. He resurrects us from the dead and gives us life. And in the process of that resurrection, he illumines our minds. He, 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 he regenerates our minds. Um, 1 John 5.20, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. That word in the, in the Greek is the word for your mind. He's given us a new mind. Now you think as believers, therefore, living according to this new mind would be, well, pretty obvious and pretty straightforward. But unfortunately, it's not. Because even though we are redeemed by the grace of God, there still is in us our fallen humanness, we call our flesh. There still is that. Romans 7, 18, Paul wrote, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. And because of that, we're not um, uh, um, you know, two different people. We are one a person, but part of our makeup is this fallen humanness that still resides in us, the presence of sin, which sets its heart against regenerative thinking which attacks regenerative thinking, which attacks kingdom thinking. Paul wrote in Romans 7, I see a law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. Well, in this context, this conflict, which you all know so well, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. My mind says, serve God this way, but then I fall asleep. Um, my, my mind says, I don't want to do that anymore, and I end up doing it and confessing my, my sin over and over. We know that battle. Well, what, what, what wins? How, how is this battle waged? How is this battle won? And the answer is Augustine's great statement, in a dog fight, which dog wins? The dog you feed, right? Galatians 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, submit yourself to the Spirit's leading as he leads through God's word. Submit yourself to God's word, through, to his thinking, to what he teaches. Um, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So it's depending on what you feed. If you sow to the flesh, from this flesh you shall reap. If you sow to the spirit, from the spirit you shall reap. And thus, when we read in Proverbs 23, as a man thinks within his heart, so is, so is he. That's what that means. That's not Christian science, that we think things and it, and it, re, uh, you know, it changes the physical world. No, it, what you, it's, it's what you give your mind to. If you give yourself to the Word of God, allowing this to frame your thinking, your desires, your goals, your values, you'll reap life. If you and I don't do that, but give ourselves to the worldly values, goals, and desires, then we'll, we, we will reap death. Not eternal death, but we'll, we'll reap the consequences of living for pleasure. Right? Brothers and sisters, that is what is meant when, Paul, when, when God says, 
Watch over your heart with all diligence. Be careful. Because any given moment, you will either be governing your world according to the redeemed mind, or you will be living and governing it according to the flesh. So watch over your heart. Watch over your mind with all diligence. Brothers and sisters, Psalms 120 through 134, the songs of ascents, those songs were given by God for that very purpose, to frame the thinking of the pilgrim. We're living in this world of sin and misery. It's difficult. We're living in the diaspora. That's what we are. We are aliens and strangers, says Peter, right? Just like God's people became when the nation was uh, uh, fell. We live as pilgrims. And our call is to come to Jerusalem. And we've seen that Jerusalem has three different facets to it. One is the literal city. So when they were talking about going to Jerusalem here, they were talking about the literal uh, city. The second one is the Jerusalem above, which by way of footnote, brothers and sisters, it was true in the Old Testament. So when you talk about the priests of the Old Testament, what, we know what that is. We know that, that that's a type of what we have become in Christ, the priesthood of, of the believer. Well, likewise, Jerusalem was a type of the Jerusalem above, which, which we saw last week in uh, Galatians 4, is a reference to what we enter into when we're saved. When you're saved, you enter into the Jerusalem above. So the Jerusalem above, Jerusalem, can be understood as our salvation, as this body joined together in Christ. That's the, that's the Jerusalem above. And there's also a facet of Jerusalem we also know from Revelation 21. It refers to the new Jerusalem where we're all marching. So, so brothers and sisters, we're on our way to uh, Jerusalem. God's intended for his people to have this, these 15 songs to frame our thinking as we travel there. Now get this. These songs, therefore, it's not the, it's not the playlist. God designed for his people to entertain them as they went to Zion, right? It's not the playlist for a road trip. These psalms, each one of them, God intends, they're specifically written and placed in this section of Scripture for pilgrims. For you and I living in a fallen world, struggling under the burdens of life. And the Jerusalems that we'll be focusing on as we march there will either be the Jerusalem above our salvation that we share in Christ, or it'll be the new heavens and the new earth which we enter in. I'm into um, which begins upon our death and then when Jesus Christ uh, comes back. So uh, I get this. Psalm 120, you've got the summaries there. Psalm 121 are dealing with their application clearly is dealing with the new Jerusalem, right? Psalm 120, God calls us in this psalm to frame our thinking, which means we're called to be active here, brothers and sisters. Okay? We're to learn this song, and this song is when you are, are, are pressed heavy under the burdens of this life, that song calls us to go to Christ, to go to Jerusalem. That's, where the, that's the only answer. We tend to go, man, when we're pressed heavy, I'm burdened by what's happening in this world. I'm going to go to my own strength. I'm going to stockpile. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. 
I'm going to manipulate. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that, this, that my boss notices me. Whatever it might be, we resort to all kinds of fleshly ways to cope with the sins and miseries of this life. And this psalm says, brothers and sisters, you've got to learn. And that means work. You and I have to work at learning to bring our burdens to Christ. Not just on Sunday. And not just once when you have your quiet time, but throughout the the course of every day, when you're burdened with life, may your gut response be, oh God, I'm taking refuge in you right now. This is too big for me to carry. Help me, God. Help me, Christ. Be my, my shield. May I take refuge under the shadow of your wings. Brothers and sisters, that just doesn't happen naturally. That's something we're, that's the whole point of this, of this section. We're called to labor at to make them a part of our life. Psalm 121, on the way unto Zion. We're going to have difficulties come, and our fleshly impulse will be to say, wait a second, if God loved me, difficulties wouldn't happen, right? Psalm 121 was written to, to reframe our thinking, to say, that's, the wrong, that's wrong, that's faulty. We live in a state of sin and misery. The difference between us and the non-believer, both of which die of cancer, both of which are burdened, both of which are facing the same issues that we all face. The difference between them and us is we have God walking with us. God hasn't abandoned us. He's with us, caring for us, walking with us, upholding us. That's Psalm 121. Brothers and sisters, if you're not framing your mind, if you're not working to get these truths to become your default thinking, in the world in which you live, you and I are not singing these songs. We're called to sing these songs as we go to Zion. Now, Psalm 122's focus, application, I'm going to suggest to you, is not on the new Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem above. It's best understood application-wise, in my experience, as we understand this in light of the common salvation we have in Jesus Christ and the life we have with him. So that being, being said, what is the theme of Psalm 122? This psalm was written to, to, to um, let us um, understand what our identity is. What are you? If I were to ask you coming in today, what are you? I'm a man. I'm a female. I'm a woman. I'm black. I'm white. I'm, I'm Asian. I'm rich right? I'm powerful. I've got a great job. What are you? God says, brothers and sisters, on the way to Zion, you are to to define yourself by one word, worship. You and I have been called by God to worship the Lord. That is what we're about. Everything else that we do is part and parcel of that greater calling. This is review. Notice with me verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The first thing that David said that the pilgrim is supposed to say, and this takes work on our parts, when you enter your foot into Jerusalem, salvation, when you enter into salvation, the first thing that you want to say is, I want to go to the house of the Lord and worship. I want to worship him. Right? That's the first thing. Our tendency going to Jerusalem would be to visit our loved ones, to go to the market and get some food, make sure we got a hotel set up uh, for us because we've been on a long journey. No, the first thing that God is teaching us when you enter into Jerusalem, in this context, salvation is you want to worship. In fact, it's more than that. Recall the uh, um, literary tool, the Hebrew literary tool, biblical, it's also biblical, Old Testament, New, um, literary tool known as inclusio. Do you remember that? 
Inclusio is where um, the Bible doesn't have a, the ability to bold. They couldn't bold. They, they were handwritten. You couldn't underline. You wouldn't do, do that kind of stuff that we do to emphasize. So what they did is they had literally tools. And one of those tools was Inclusio, in which you started and ended a section of Scripture with the same thought, with the implication that everything in between must be interpreted in light of the bookends. Do you remember that? So notice verse 1, notice verse 9. This begins and ends with the worship of God, which means everything in between, verse 2 through 8, is all about or must be understood as it relates to worship. Do you understand that? So, for example, Matthew chapter 11, or Mark uh, chapter 11, Jesus curses the fig tree. He then goes to Jerusalem and uh, casts out the money ch- uh, changers, cleanses of the temple. Then he comes right back out in Mark 11 and makes reference to the fig tree. That's inclusio. And what that's saying is, you will not understand Christ casting out or cleansing the uh, temple until you understand it in light of... The bookends, which is the cursed fig tree. Likewise here, we will not understand this psalm if we think this is about, for example, 2 through 8, is all about Jerusalem. No, this isn't about worship. This is about uh, Jerusalem. You've missed it. Inclusio is telling us this is all about worship. That's what we have become by God's redeeming grace. We are priests. We are worshipers. And because we're worshipers, the first thing you want to do once you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone Right, Grace alone, what's the first thing you want to do? And what's everything you want to do? Based on this psalm, worship. Because we have become priests of God Most High. So we're all about worship. So um, that's what this is about. Now, David at this point steps back and he uses a tool that you and I use. Okay? And that's this. Think of Matthew 26, where Christ is, he, um, if he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses his life will, will save it. If you focus on your life, you're going to lose it, saving it. If you focus on, on, on giving up your life for the Lord, you're gonna, you, you know, you'll gain it, right? You understand that? A parallel for us would be this. I'm a football coach. I'm coaching quarterbacks. Quarterback's job is to throw the ball into the hands of the receiver. If I tell that quarterback, get the ball in the hands of the receiver, he's going to focus on taking that ball and throwing it at that receiver. He'll miss him every time. If I make his objective to make that guy uh, have that ball in his hands, he'll miss it every time. What do I do as a quarterback? i got to throw the ball in front of him. So my focus to help me be a great quarterback, which does what? Gets the ball in his hands every time. That's a great quarterback. I want to be a great quarterback. I can't focus on the end because if I do, I won't get it. i got to focus on something very specific, and if I focus on that, the end will be provided for. That's what Psalm 122 does from 2 through 8. It focuses on Jerusalem. David says, you're worshipers. Now, everything we're saying about is about worship. So as you hear this sermon, brothers and sisters, today, think of this in light of worship. Don't think of this um, minutely, atomistically. Think of this with the bigger picture in mind, because we're going to get into the the trees here. But don't forget the forest is all about worship here. All right, that being said, he then focused upon Jerusalem. Notice with me the provision of worship. It's, It's Jerusalem. Okay, notice in verse 2 through 3, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together. From this, David is saying, man, I'm going I'm to focus on Jerusalem, and for us, we know what that means, our salvation. Okay, Jerusalem was, from a distance, looked like one 
monolithic city, one massive structure. And that's what protected the temple. Okay? At the heart of Jerusalem was the worship of God. And what he says is, man, we're standing in this city, which is one monolithic structure that protects the worship of God. Brothers and sisters, if you want to be faithful to the call to worship God, where should your focus be? Can't be on worshiping God. I mean, how do you go around day by day thinking, okay, I've got to, I've got to teach a class, but I'm, I'm preaching a sermon. I've got to wor- how do I worship and do those things at the same time? How do you do it? You cultivate a life geared upon, focusing upon Jerusalem. That's what protects our worship. You go, what does that mean? Brothers and sisters, what is your salvation? Your salvation is this incredible God who has, who could easily wipe you off the face of the earth for your sin. Yet this God, before the world began, he's a loving God. He set his love upon you. Get this, this good God, this awesome God, set his love upon you. Your name was mentioned by name in the council of the Trinity when it came to their salvific work. God chose to save you, and in time he sent his son, and he died for you. Christ came for you. Think about that. And then in dying, he paid the cost for your sin. What a grace of God. Jesus Christ, who should not have died because he had no sin, died in our place that we might live. Incredible. Brothers and sisters, meditate upon that. As you walk by the way, as you lie down, when you rise up, meditate upon the character of your God. Well, just to let you know, look with me at verse 4b. I'm going to skip verse 3 for one uh, second. It ends with, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. What's the word name mean? The character of God right? We're coming to give thanks to the character of God. Focus on the character of God, which has led to your salvation, your being a part of Jerusalem. When you focus on the character of God, when that is that which is driving you, you know what that word means? What word we'd use to refer to God's character driving you? Glory, right? Do not take the name of God in vain, the opposite of vain, is heaviness, glory. When God's name, when his character is driving you, his name's heavy, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his holiness, his omnipotence, if that's, if that's what's driving you as you live. And that's something you and I work on. We pray for, we encourage each other towards. Guess what, brothers and sisters? Worship's gonna come. And that doesn't necessarily mean you praising God as you're trying to teach a class. That means you're praising God by the way you teach that class because you're teaching it in the reverence and fear of Christ. Do you see that? So the first one is, notice, David says, I, I want you to focus on Jerusalem here for a second because it's a, a glorious gem with multifaceted. The first facet is it lends itself. It's that which, which protects our worship. How does it uh, protect us? Our salvation does. As it, as it, as it overwhelms us, as, as we meditate upon it, as we are driven by it, it naturally leads unto, unto worship. Secondly, would you notice, it's priority in the lives of God's people. 4a, still speaking of Jerusalem, David observed, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord and ordinance of Israel. When David became king, the tribes had their own history. They had all one shared history, but they had their own histories. They just got through the judges, and this, this tribe was attacked by the Philistines. This tribe was attacked by the Canaanites. They had their own history, their own story. 
On top of that, the, the kingdom was divided. Some favored Saul's line, some favored David's line. So when David became king, what did he do? He conquered the Jebusite city of Salem, which in the Hebrew means peace. And he renamed it. He renamed it to Jerusalem. You know what, the, what uh, Jerusalem means? The foundation or bedrock of peace. He intended Jerusalem to be that which would unite the tribes. And you look at it here, it worked. All the tribes go up to Jerusalem. Some didn't go down to Egypt. Some didn't go because they're way north, go to, you know, Assyria. They all went to Jerusalem. They all claimed Jerusalem as their own. Brother and sister, he has now changed the uh, beautiful gem of Jerusalem, our salvation, and says, and it's that which unites us. Isn't it? When we come here, we got male, female, we have different races, we have different socioeconomics, we have different sin experiences. Some are coming from a life of sordid sin. Some are coming from a life where they never knew a day they didn't know Jesus. We all have different things that we can claim to be our own. Brothers and sisters, what unites us? Not, not our, our, our race, not our life stage. What unites us? The saving, cleansing grace of Christ. When that is our focus... I come here because of the saving, cleansing grace of Christ, not to be with people who are like me, right? That's why today in the church, which is all these different movements going through with these, these homogeneous uh, principles, we should worship with the same race of people. We should wor- Brothers and sisters, you've missed it. Worship, Christ, salvation unites us all, and it enables us to worship together as former enemies, as people who in any other walk of life wouldn't be friends. But here we are bound together because of Jesus Christ's salvific work in all of our lives individually. That's what unites us. And when you and I gather with that union, that purpose, guess what's fostered? Our worship. Right? Both of that, all of that leads to, verse 4b, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now that's all last sermon. You might go, that's your last sermon? Good night, Greg. Um, it was. Now let's get into this sermon. Okay, that's the introduction. Notice with me then one more facet to our unity or to Jerusalem, and that is its maintenance. Its maintenance. Okay, verse 5. Still speaking of Jerusalem, for their, for their thrones were set for justice. That's the Greek word. Jones were, uh, thrones were set for justice, even the thrones of the house of David. All right, so when you go to Jerusalem in, in that day, if you went to Jerusalem and, and entered in, you would notice some odd-looking uh, uh, creations, okay? We call them chairs. In that day, a chair didn't have a back. Most people, if they sat on a chair, it was just a little time because of, it, was, it was work, on and on. You didn't have chairs with backs as common people. You had little benches you might sit on if you sat. Most Jews, when they eat, as you know, they slid on their side. They didn't. They reclined. They didn't sit in chairs, so if you walked into the city and you saw a chair with a back and arms, that's a chair. What we call chairs. Come to my house, I have a couple of those, right? Those are chairs. But they looked exactly like the throne of David. Well, those chairs were set up at the gate of Jerusalem, the different gates, and elders would sit in those chairs. And if you had a dispute with your neighbor, you'd go into the city, and the first thing you'd do is have, have, have an elder who could help you resolve your conflict. And, if that, and that's where we, we read about that in Ruth 4, Job 29, Absalom. What did Absalom do to get the hearts of God's people? He sat in those chairs, and when people went in to the king and came out upset, he'd say, you know, if I was ruling, if I was king, I would have ruled on your side. 
Um, and everyone went, man, we love you. And it divided. Uh, the That's these chairs. Well, what are these chairs for? These chairs are unique to Jerusalem, brothers and sisters. Because God intended this city to be founded upon justice. What's justice? Well, justice is not man determined. What determines justice? Well, God's character, who God is, right? So justice is when, unlike foreign countries in the ancient world, and even uh, today, if I went in as a powerful man, they'd always rule all for me. If I went in as a a man who has a high uh, position, I'd always be ruled for. They perverted justice. It's all based upon money, power, influence, what I could get uh, uh, for it, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was was founded upon the truth of God's word, which rendered justice, which meant everybody's the same. No matter what your walk in life is, you are all the same under God's word. We're all bound by it. We're all called to submit to it. And so my lustful heart as a wealthy landowner must, uh, must equally be submitted to God's glory as the weak slave who struggles with lust. It's gr- the great equalizer. Brothers and sisters, when he says, when you look in Jerusalem, the, second, the, the third thing I want you to, uh, to notice, it's founded upon justice. This justice provides unity. It provides for everyone being the same before God, under God. Without that, what are we? We're individuals. And what is that, what is that unifying thing that, 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 that produces ju- uh, justice? It's the same thing. We're bound by God, by his grace, by his salvation. Jerusalem, our salvation, demands that we be driven and governed by God's word. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the chairs that were set up at Jerusalem. They were given there to judge the thoughts and the hearts of God's people, making us all on the same footing, all of us. So when David thinks of, I want to secure this worship in our lives, he says, guys, focus on worship. Or, I'm sorry, focus on your on salvation, on the Jerusalem above, what we have in Christ. It protects our worship. It is what enables us to come here and join arms, right? You're, you're black. I'm white. Our world says you should hate me. Our world says I hate you. I was born a hater. I didn't know, uh, I know that I, I hated a specific race. Truthfully known, brothers and sisters, you know the problem with woke, it didn't go far enough. CRT, it doesn't go far, uh, far, far enough. It says only white people hate, hate blacks. Brothers and sisters, every race hates every race. We're all, the only one who doesn't make a distinction is God, Romans 2. All of us make distinctions. We are, let's admit it. So the problem is not, how dare you say that I look down upon black uh, people. Brothers and sisters, if it's not black, it's red. If it's not red, it's yellow. If it's not yellow, it's going to be wealthy people. If it's not wealthy people, it's going to be poor people. If it's not poor people, it's going to be fat people. If it's not fat people, it'll be skinny people. We all do it, right? Guess what the word of God does? Guess what salvation does? It says, all oh, that doesn't matter anymore. You're my brother in the Lord. You're my sister in the Lord. I will die for you. Now, where I'm getting a little off, I'm coming here and acting like a big hot shot because I gave a lot of money this morning. The word of God levels all that off and says, no, it's not how much you give, 
right? It's not, it's not how much you give. It's what you give. When those offerings went by, it doesn't matter. If, it, God would not be impressed if you gave a billion dollars. But if those billion dollars did not represent your, your heart, it's, 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 it's sick. But if you gave a penny in the plate today, and that represented your life, your heart, oh, how beautiful that was. That's the widow's might. She gave so little, but she alone gave a lot. She gave all. Okay. So brothers and sisters, the word of God is the great leveler. Okay, all of that then is the illustration that, that David used to, to teach us to be a people who worship God. How do we do it? Focus on the character of God, your salvation, the grace of God, and its impact in your life. And thirdly, be bound by God's word. Let's you and I join together on this equal passion to be bound by God's word. Now, when that's true, three things come as a result. And that's the last uh, uh, section, the impact. Notice the first one. There, it will, one, result in prayer, verse 6. Let them, uh, let them, I'm on 129. Let me go back, excuse me, 120, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May, may they prosper. Now, I'm sorry. He says pray, and then verse 6b through 7 is the actual prayer he wants you to pray. So he gives you the prayer. May they prosper, and the word prosper here does not mean monetarily, it means spiritually. May they spiritually prosper um, within your, your palaces for the sake of my brother. I'm sorry. Uh, may they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. What does he pray for? He prays for the body of Christ, the Jerusalem above, to grow in their apprehension of the grace of God. To grow as a people subject to God's word, subject to his justice. To grow as a people who join together in mutual praise and adoration of God. That's what that first part of the prayer is, right? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And how do you pray for it? First, may they prosper who love you. But then, would you notice, secondly, so I'm on my second point here. Um, Well, I'm not still... uh, pray, okay? Secondly, would you notice they prayed, who they pray for? They prayed for everyone within their walls and even those in the palace. Now think about this as, as David. That means we're praying for, we want everybody in the body of Christ to prosper spiritually. That's what we're praying for. Brothers and sisters, this is a radical prayer. You may go, obviously, isn't that obvious? It's not, because look at practicality. In Jerusalem is that merchant who always gets the better of you. And you're just waiting for that guy to get his uh, comeuppance. Is it sin? Maybe it is. I don't know. He loves the Lord, but he always gets the better of me. And so when I go to the market, I walk by that guy and I sort of growl. I don't like that guy, right? In that Jerusalem is my brother who is, I'm the older brother. He's the younger brother. He left, left me to handle the entire plantation by myself. And then he comes back and dad kills the fattened calf. I don't like that guy. I've never liked him. I never will. You know what the prayer is? When, when, when God's salvation is all that matters to us. All of a sudden now, what you've done to me. I hate to say it. It's the money. Uh, uh, Python. Brother and sister, don't argue about who killed who. This is a wedding. It's a happy occasion. Right? That was a joke. That was, that was supposed to be funny. Right? Brother and sisters, who cares what people have hurt you with? They're your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and your prayer must be even for them that they would prosper spiritually. 
the best thing that could ever happen to this church is everyone here, everyone in this body would grow deeper in their love and hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. Not that they get their comeuppance. Lord, I, I'm thinking of Bob. I have a hard time with Bob. Please, God, give him justice. That's not what we want to pray for. We want to pray that Bob, who loves Jesus, grows in his walk even more. That loves him more than life. Because why? Every time, every, everyone who gets stronger makes us all stronger. Right? So prayer. Secondly, it will result in a conviction as it relates to ourselves. Verse 8. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. He's a Jew speaking this. We're Greeks. We're, East, we're Western thinking. We have no problem saying God is sovereign. God is in charge of all things. We all agree with that. But when we get to the red light, we want it to be green. Right? That's Western. That we are divorcing from ourselves what we affirm to be true and how we live. In Hebrew, in the Jewish, in the Eastern mentality, what you say is true, is, it'll, uh, it, it's, it's what you're, you're living. So when he says, I will now say, this is no longer a prayer. This is a statement. Not only am I praying for the peace of this body, but guys, I'm for the peace of this body. I'm going to make this a part of my, my existence to encourage you to love and know Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be Bob. You could be the younger brother. You could be that merchant. I, I'm going to labor. I, I don't care that you took advantage of, of me in the past. Are you growing in your walk? Are you growing in your love of Jesus Christ? That's what I'm after. Isn't it crazy? When that becomes what you're after, guess what the result is? It's the pleasing aroma of a life of praise. Lastly, it will result in a commitment to the body. So a conviction on our part, this is what I'm about. My whole life now is about bringing Christ's to bear, Christ to bear upon people around me. I, I want them to know him. And in the lives of brothers and sisters, how's your walk? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? But then lastly, it will result in a commitment to the body. Verse 9, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, for his worship, I will seek your good. Now this is talking about the individuals. So you say, how does number, uh, second, uh, verse 8 and verse 9 uh, differ? One, it's a personal uh, conviction. Verse 9 is the action. It translates to what? Me tangibly seeking the good of the body of Jesus Christ. What does that, that mean? Well, Galatians 6, brethren, if, if a man's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore him. In a spirit of gentleness, each one of you looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What that word bear means? It's, the, it's a building word, and it's, it's, it's used to refer to a, um, um, a, a support of a load-bearing wall. If you know anything about building, a load-bearing wall is a wall that, that holds up the entire structure. The beam that holds up that load-bearing beam, the pillar that holds up the load-bearing wheel, is bearing up. We're called to get under the same burden that's under each one of our lives and help lift it up in other people's lives. That's the call. Unto their and our growth in grace. You know what that means? It means that this radical idea that being a servant or a disciple of the living God means that we are in it for the whole group. That's one reason, I'm going to say this in closing, that's one reason why I'm so high on the discipleship ministry that we're currently doing. You know what defi by definition discipleship is? 
What is discipleship? When you think of discipleship, the word is mathetes. You think learner of Christ, which is what it means. Make disciples, make learners of Christ. We tend to take that atomistically. And everything we've seen right now already tells you there should be red flags going on, red lights going. No, you never take it atomistically. You shouldn't take it atomistically. But we do. Being a learner of Christ means I'm learning on my own. Now, you might, I, I find people who are good disciples. Ooh, you're a godly man. Will you disciple me? And they say, sure. And I sit under them, and I learn how myself to be a, a wonderful Christian. Brothers and sisters, that is not discipleship. Discipleship is not you getting better. Discipleship is the body getting better. 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, this is discipleship. Um, entrust to um, these men who will then teach it to others. That's discipleship. Discipleship is a commitment on the part of the body of Christ to say, I exist to the glory of, of God to build up my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's the emphasis, one of the emphasis of the discipleship of ministry. That what we're doing. Those of you who are in it can testify. Those of you who aren't, by God's grace, someday you will. What is it about? It's not just simply you growing in your walk. It's you being a, a catalyst to have other people grow in their walk. That's discipleship. So it requires, first and foremost, that you are growing in your walk. But how does that happen? That happens as you and I hold each other accountable, as you and I pray for each other, as you and I invest in each other's lives, as you and I commit ourselves. So what happens in a discipleship ministry is your little group of three or four or five uh, people, you, it's just simply a foretaste. It's simply a, a small-scale run. You begin there. And once you learn how to encourage four or five other men or women over the course of a year or two or three, now you take that and bring it to the rest of the body. That is Psalm 122. When you and I are doing that, are the, the result of having a high view of God's worship. We are worshipers. What are we about? We focus on the, our salvation in Christ, Jerusalem. The character of God. We give thanks to the name of the Lord. And that results in us looking at going, man... I want my whole life to revolve around Christ and him crucified. And I want you to help me. I want my whole life to revolve around me helping you. I want my whole life to revolve around God's word being bound and governed by this judgment on my, my life, which ultimately says not guilty, but this is how you now live as a not guilty uh, a person. When all that's true, guess what? We're worshiping God. When we wash clothes by the stream priesthood of the believer. We're worshiping God. When this is true, this is your mind governing you, you're worshiping God when you're a student in a class on biology. You're worshiping God when you're, when you're being, when you, you know, peeling a spud, right? A potato. You're worshiping God when this is what frames your minds. So brothers and sisters, pray that this would become a part of this body, that the peace of Jerusalem its welfare, meaning growing in grace, would become our prayer. Bless Bethel. Grow this body of believers up that they might understand your character, God. They may, that they might understand your grace and that they might live in light of it and so share it and encourage it with other people around them. Brothers and sisters, that's Psalm 122. That's the third song God wants us to memorize and become that which frames our thinking, which means you and I have to be active on this. You can't just hear the sermon and go away and forget what your image looks like. You've got to hear the sermon and think of it again. Think of it again. Psalm 120, when I'm burdened, go to the Lord. Psalm 121, 
God is always with me. He'll never forsake me, no matter what the world says, no matter what my thinking might be at this moment, my flesh. God is always with me. He loves me and cares for me. And thirdly, I am in my most essential aspect, a worshiper of the living God. And for me to be a good worshiper of the living God, I got to focus on one small thing, the salvation he's given me, given us in Christ. And that is his grace and his glory. Brothers and sisters, may God give us the grace so to do. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you as indeed pilgrims. And Lord, there's so many things that could occupy our minds, that do occupy our minds as pilgrims, O Lord, as we march to Zion together. But Lord, we're so grateful that you've given us in your word specifics, that which should frame our minds, that which, Lord, should govern our expectations, our desires, our motivations, our activities. Lord, that which should frame our minds when we think of coming here. So many today in the world, in the U.S. especially, have learned that, that worship, they've been taught that worship is about them. It's an entertainment moment where they can come and themselves be blessed. Lord, that is not what your word says. Grant us the grace to be a people committed to Jerusalem, to the Jerusalem above, in the lives of each other, that we might come here truly to worship you, to give you worship, but then also, Lord, to come here and give our hearts, our lives, our souls to each other as we encourage each other as pilgrims in this sojourn to glory. God, we pray that that would begin in us, that that would continue in us, and we'd never forget it. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you give us grace to raise up the next generation with that same mentality, that same passion, that same focus. We pray this, O oh Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.